All right, welcome to Movie Left, uh, Move Left Idiots uh, Movie Review Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Montarulo, oh, joined by yeah. my co-host, <laughs> Comrade Dracula, mm. jumping out of turn, <laughs> and LaDonna Loki. No, I was responding to your name as a host. I was like, oh, <laughs> yeah, it's the fucking host. No. I... We're off to a great start already, guys. <laughs> <laughs> What's happening, guys? How, how are you doing? Um... Well, it went from uh, t- 10 days ago, it was winter, and it was snowing, and now it's uh, 80, 82 degrees outside after sundown. So Yeah. Um, Same here. I'm dying. Yeah. Welcome. <laughs> they call swamp-ass weather in the south. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> you yeah, know, it, it was insanely hot today. It was like 87 degrees, I think, here during, <laughs> oh, during the afternoon. I love it. Was it was kind of awesome. I love it. I fucking love yeah. it. I, I would live in that year-round if I could. Yeah. It's just the, um, the shock of going from... You know, having uh, sinus congestion from the colds and the snow in the winter, but then having sinus congestion from having hay fever in a matter of seven (laughs) days, literally. The humidity really is worse, though. I've lived in Arizona, and yes, the dry heat there will smack you in the face, but it's still a ton better than this swampy crap. I would dare say the humidity in the Midwest is worse than Vietnam. Wow. (laughs) Nice transition there. (laughs) Not trying to segue (laughs) (laughs) it was smooth though all right so we are reviewing uh the 2003 documentary fog of war um which you know yeah i i believe i said it in the main cast last week uh i don't think you necessarily need to have watched the documentary to to appreciate this podcast because i suspect it's going to be more of a uh memorandum on vietnam and mcnamara and kissinger even though he wasn't in this mysteriously at all um then actual review of the movie because it's really just robert mcnamara you know talking to a camera for two hours mm-hmm. yeah insert um, pictures from his life and that but, kind you know, of stuff but there's some really interesting commentary i think th- there is and i and i think overall you know before we get into kind of the nuts and bolts of it i do think it was a well-made documentary for you know what i assume was just like hey i want to tell my life story come shoot me for you know 10 hours and i'll you know talk to you and uh you know they've they found a way to make it visually stimulating and keep you kind of uh engaged i thought for the most part yeah one of the things that errol morris did was instead of doing sort of like the dirty over the shoulder shot you know uh dateline interview style Mm -hmm. um or having like multiple cameras. What, he, what they did was they just put Errol Morris, uh, who was the director who did Quiet um, Squatsy and Thin, Thin Blue Line, uh, who gets Philip Glass to Great do the, the music for. Yes, very good. Uh, gets Philip Glass to do the music for all of his films, including this one. He basically, like on a teleprompter, you have the the words the person's saying uh, on like a, a like a, on an angled sheet of glass in front of the camera, so they can look right directly into the camera while they're reading their lines. Well, here, they're not. he's not reading lines. He's looking directly into the camera and seeing a superimposition of Earl Morris' face. So it's so they're having eye contact. But at the same time, McNamara is looking directly into the camera at the audience. So it feels very much like a confession. Yeah. And maybe his own reflection, too. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I, I didn't feel quite the same way. I mean, this was this was my pick. We're, we're alternating now, just so you guys know. And I, I was really annoyed. I get impatient um, when there's too much gratuitous, like, you know, music and, and a picture and another picture, you know, in between. I know that they do okay, that for transition and, and all of that. But it's just sort of like, 
uh, can we get to the point? Get to the point. Move on. I feel like they could have cut an hour out of this just if they'd gotten rid of that stuff. Well, you know, the funny thing is that a lot of people describe McNamara as like holier than thou and a know-it-all. And you actually really get a sense of that listening to him talk about his career and himself and things like that. I can see why people say it, but I, I saw a little bit more um, willingness to be self-critical than he might have had earlier in his life. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, to, in the film, to the people so. that he oh, was part of this machine with, what he's saying in this film is a complete coup, right? To anyone with any semblance of anti-war sentiment, it still feels like he's, he's trying to, like... Apologetic. He's trying mm-hmm. to skirt that line of, like, well, I was part of a... I was a tactician of death. But, you know, it wasn't just me, you know, so he's he's trying to have it both ways. Obviously. But this guy's way worse than me. So let's not jump too far ahead. I, I want to go. I kind of have kind of sequential notes chronologically uh, laid shocked. out here. I know, right? <laughs> Look, this is the only podcast I actually prepare for. The, the main cast, I just wing and we fly by the seat of our pants. But these are a little bit more uh, detailed. Oh, I always so. do research, so I just want to let you know that. <laughs> I never um, do, so. <laughs> well, <laughs> I'm a good laugh track. Though, so, so. Uh, you know, true. McNamara mm. uh, spent seven years as Secretary of Defense during Vietnam. He was uh, appointed by Kennedy, uh, and then, yeah, I, I mean, I think months before he was assassinated, he barely, you know, served under Kennedy, and then was uh, inherited by LBJ. Um, so, and, and then it also mentioned that he spent 13 years at uh, World Bank uh, as the president of World Bank, which seems like a bit of a conflict of interest, but whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. It used, <laughs> used to be a conflict of interest. Nowadays, they'd be like, what's the problem? No, no <laughs> that's, that's like a feature. He's, that's like, yeah. yeah. Um, so, you know, early on, you know, it, I think it's great that he can kind of look back and reflect at 85, but that doesn't unkill the millions of people that we we killed in vietnam but so you know like just to go through kind of a nuanced uh take on what you know what he says i I think would be useful for us because at the end i think he really uh lacks self-reflection that when i say at the end i mean like the last maybe 20 minutes of the movie is that where we start really talking the last 20 minutes then or are we gonna no no no, no. well i'm (laughs) saying we'll get there (laughs) but 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 i genuinely think at the beginning he is he 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 seems empathetic um you know they we go through some archival clips they talk about how 50 percent of tax dollars were spent on the military which i was like oh my god i'd love for it to be that low now <laughs> right <laughs> <laughs> fuck what do we spend now like 70 uh 73 percent or something like that i believe well that's a lot of that's to go to veterans of all the other wars but yeah i mean the, the the actual defense spending we have now is not that different it's just you know it's a, it's still always increasing along with our gdp essentially yeah <clears throat> um you know, he, he goes through these 11 lessons uh, in the movie. Uh, you know, lesson one, empathize with your enemy. Uh, to me, and he, he goes on to explain what he means, but I feel like if you empathize with your enemy, you wouldn't want to kill somebody. Like, to me, that, that seems almost a contradiction. You wouldn't have an enemy say. in the first place. Well, yeah, if you empathize with somebody, you, you typically don't want to kill them. I mean, I, you know, that's just me. But well, here, Here's where it breaks down, is when he's talking about how they got the two, uh, uh, you know, telefax things from Cuba, and one was from the night before, and one was the next morning, and the first one was kind of cool. Like, hey, we will... It was a soft and the hard response. We don't... Uh, yeah, yeah. Like, we won't, we'll get, we won't have nukes if you don't invade. 
right? And then the next one was like, if you invade, we'll, we'll nuke you, right? They both mean the same thing, but it's like the tone yeah, is different. Yeah, they're not mutually exclusive. And they, yeah. they fretted over about which to respond to, Kennedy did. <laughs> and it's like, gosh, which one should we respond to? It's, it's like, wow, if only we had the technology to, to send a telephone call in 1962, <laughs> to, to be like, hey, could we address both that's, of these in, in, that's, in a fucking that's logical? That's crazy in all of these things. is like you could have talked to these people. Well, then, of course, fucking. it's like the reason why you don't call them is because you just tried to invade them. Just fucking <laughs> try to invade them, right? Well, so right. That's another... there's, there's all this protocol around who you talk to and who you don't. And, and this is the victory of North Korea that we have now is because we were willing to have a damn conversation for so long, you know, our presidents wouldn't. And I understand the whole you don't, you know, negotiate with terrorists. I get that side of things. But, my God, you have to talk. These, I mean, it's not, you know, we're talking about sovereign leaders here. You know, we helped stage a coup in Vietnam that set a lot of this shit off, which is totally omitted <laughs> yeah. from the fucking documentary. Oh, There's a no, lot of he, stuff. Yeah. He, he did touch on it just for a he, second. Yeah, but he takes yeah. no response. I, I think the I think he takes broad strokes responsibility. He doesn't take responsibility for a specific atrocity at any point in this movie. Well, I, I you know, think. the contrast was interesting for me because obviously mm. – there's a discussion of the lives that were lost on his watch. And so they mentioned the time that he was with Ford and putting in seatbelts and all of this stuff almost as a, as a, you know, a, a balance. Like, okay, well, that we whole, killed 100,000 the over way. there, yeah. but I saved 200,000. So, Ned, I'm a good guy. You know, it's like, no, yeah. it, it, it's, it may all be true. Um, <laughs> it doesn't take away the bad. I mean, I guess the thing is, it's, it's fascinating to me. How people justify this stuff to themselves, how they justify horrible things that they do and find a way to sleep at night and make it okay. That was what was really intriguing. I, to me. Didn't you, you know why they sleep at night? Because they're a piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, here we go. Um, didn't you say like one of the, like Ted Kaczynski or somebody used to work at, like, work for a suicide hotline? Yeah. Suicide uh, pro- Ted Bundy. Ted Bundy. So, yeah. So it's like, you yeah, look. It doesn't matter how much good you did. You're still a horrible piece of shit or, horrible, you know, horrible whatever. It's like with Brokaw. Yeah, he's got, yeah. you know, now three accusers. But, hey, 20 people We'll talk people about that were... on the main podcast. Yeah. I was like, oh, well, he was so nice to me. So, therefore, I'm going to totally discredit this woman who's coming forward and saying he did something to them. I just went I'm off Rachel on Maddow Twitter. And, yeah. yeah, for the last fucking time, people. R- just because Maddow. he didn't treat you that way doesn't mean he didn't treat someone else that way. He or she or whatever. Rachel Maddow has never met a horrible person she wouldn't defend. She said Roger Ailes was her mentor. She called him a mentor and a friend. So just tells you what you should, all you need to know about <laughs> Rachel Maddow. This, this is totally off topic. But <laughs> we can't contain ourselves from the main podcast. Well, it's, um, it's, it's still, again, goes back to respectability pod politics you know and you see all this archival footage of mcnamara where they're like oh let's interview him on on you know for life magazine it's mm-hmm. like he's tinkering with the way we do wars and thinking about ways and mathematical money ball for fu- yeah, the fucking army for the, for the war right and it's it's like as though this is just an experiment and it's not uh strafing villages in, in, and we're not just talking about vietnam because what what we did in in germany we firebombed villages and hamlets in Germany that had no military targets. So yeah, the, the, wiped out the um, over fifty percent of hundreds you know, of villages. The, the the total war, you know, uh, uh, scorched earth practice of Vietnam was not unique to Vietnam. That's something I didn't learn until I got to high school. Because even at a young age, I knew that like Vietnam was fucked and we were doing terrible yeah, things. Yeah. I didn't realize that was a thing we started doing in World War Two. And 
in large part because of Robert McNamara saying, hey, you know what we should do to like really win the war is uh, just level everything, um, no, matter, you know, no matter who they were, civilians or not. Do you guys want to hear something crazy? Yes. Yeah. So <laughs> education in this country. So I had two years of, of history, um, U.S. history. The first part history, was sort of the, the yeah. older stuff. The second part, we never got past 1960. So literally nothing after 1960. I mean, I had to learn any of that on my own. We never learned a thing in school. I just find that mind-boggling. I, no, no, that you mentioned. I don't think we really did either. I mean, that's like a very, uh, yeah, I, don't, I, I generally don't think we learned much beyond 1960. Watching this, I, ke- I kept, yeah, I kept feeling like, wow, had I been shown some of this in school, I might have actually... horrible to cover for. It's like, what, what, <laughs> how do you even teach this without right. saying, like, we're fucking, we're the enemy, mm-hmm. we're, the, we're the bad guys. You know? <laughs> I was lucky in like, that I had what? a couple of um, kind of Quakerish, conservative Christian <laughs> history teachers that were yeah. like, this ain't in the textbook, but we're going to watch some film strips of some shit you need to know. I mean, they, yeah. they didn't say shit, but they were like... You know, uh, America's got a conflicted past, and this isn't in the lesson plan, but you deserve to know this. And I was kind of like, I'd had that. Yeah, I was like, yeah. wow, there, there's actually some decent people out here in rural America who <laughs> are willing to challenge the narrative of America, you know, a great country. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, the. Um... I, I was very surprised by how much of a hawk JFK was, uh, you know, because he obviously had a very short tenure. Uh, we don't know much, you know, about how he would have governed going forward, but right. just the archival stuff that they had with him and McNamara. And, you know, McNamara, to his credit, was at times a voice of like, hey, let's deescalate, let's do this. I think he uses that and hides behind it to excuse some of the other recommendations that he made that were. Uh, the you know that resulted in atrocities, but I do think at times he was certainly with LBJ, who was a fucking I cannot stress enough a total fucking moron, and I had no idea how dumb he was <laughs> until I listened to him in those recordings, and I was like, wow, he's dumber. He's dumber than he sounds like George Bush. Like he, he I, I didn't I, I always thought of him as like kind of a well, a he actually was from Texas, so he has more of an excuse. Yeah, right. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Well, I always thought of him as kind of a hard... Like, I didn't think of him as a dumb guy, just because, you know, yeah. all you, you don't really hear him talk much. You just read about him in the history books. It's like, well, he did these great things for, you know, desegregation and stuff like this. But at the end of the day, he was a fucking moron, especially when it came to um, Vietnam. I mean, you know, especially. But so the thing that was interesting to me was that Kennedy had to be talked out of escalation in uh, during the Cuban Missile Crisis, during Vietnam. I mean... You know, uh, Tommy Thompson, who's a former diplomat to Moscow, talked him out of escalation in, uh, you know, with with Russia uh, during the Cuban Missile Crisis, which holy shit, did we come close to all being killed? That did, was... did we all come close to not being born? Put it that way. Oh, my goodness. That was the, the scariest thing for me was hearing that. And then just thinking about how many things, how many times has it per- perhaps been that way since then that we don't know about? Those are the ones that scare me more. I felt yeah. like with with the you know the thirteen days thing that the the public's knowledge of that was the pressure that helped them try to yeah. get it resolved because if it was just left up to them in private, they all would have been like "Fuck you, fuck you, no fuck you," you know. And he even says yeah. like he talked to Castro years later or whatever, and he was Castro was like, "Oh yeah, I told Khrushchev he should use those missiles and wipe out America." <laughs> and it's like the thing is. It, you can tell McNamara believes it, and I don't think for a minute Castro ever did that. 
I think he just said that to like make McNamara flip the fuck out. I mean, he would have <laughs> yeah. been within his rights. I mean, we fucking invaded well, them. Well, we tried to assassinate him. I'm not saying he should have done, but like, clear as a little. Yeah, no, I know. But, uh, look, I don't. I'm just what I'm saying. It's like he. It, it it's like we act like Russia, you know, was the aggressor in Cuba. How dare they let them in? Why the fuck wouldn't Cuba let them in? We tried to assassinate Castro a million fucking times. We tried to we invaded. Uh, it was Cuba. only seven hundred. Come on. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? We tried to blow up his fucking cigars. You remember that? Like yeah. they tried to put dynamite in his cigars. <laughs> well, it, it's just, just, just it's, like Roadrunner fucking like traps. It's like the goofiest it, shit we it tried. It does to do make to you wonder was was the response to all that actually killing Kennedy? Like did is that oh, really I, totally totally mm-hmm. I don't think it actually came from the Pentagon, but you know, still it's kinda like you never know. I really think that, you know, the did military. You, did you guys so review uh, uh Oliver Stone's JFK before? Did you get, we yeah. did. You yeah. did do that. Yeah. Okay. I, we t- I think we talked about it. Because now I'm thinking about it. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Great movie. Um <laughs> his le- his second lesson was rationality will not save us, which is comforting. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh the, he t- he talked about how, you know, uh, 2,500 nuclear weapons are ready to be launched within 15 minutes in the United States. At By one time. human being's word. Yeah. Yeah. That's. And uh, think about who that human being is right now. Well, I, th- <laughs> I mean, I th- if you can call him that. <laughs> what I think what he meant was 2,500 around the world, you know, could be launched by any sovereign leader that has them, which is like, you know, three or four people. Yeah. So, you know, <laughs> they he talks about in the movie how uh, he was told later on that Cuba had or I'm sorry, that Russia had 162 nuclear warheads on Cuba during the Cuban Missile Crisis, which, uh, holy shit, that's a lot. Uh, After the crisis was resolved, uh, Curtis LeMay, who, I mean, you know, for all my criticisms of McNamara, Curtis LeMay (laughs) is a motherfucking, he should be like, you know, (laughs) I'm strongly anti-death penalty. He should die in the worst fucking way possible. who is he? Curtis LeMay was the general who McNamara was always fighting with, the one who orchestrated Vietnam. Mm. The, the, the one he, I, I think he tended to pin a lot of his guilt on, on LeMay. Yeah. But LeMay was absolutely a fucking butcher, like of the highest order, you know? Well, and I think that's the point. You know, surgeons want to do surgery, they want to cut. People in the military <laughs> want war. It, that's, that's just uh, it. Yeah. That's no, a good, good analogy. <laughs> I don't I like know that. why this idea that we can have a military and the way to respect the troops is to not send them to war. As long as you have them, they're going to get sent to war. You know, it's, it's yeah. like the founding fathers said, if you maintain a standing army, it's going to get used. It's just, if you're yeah. always on a war footing, it's going to, it's like, you're ready to go at a moment's notice. Those nukes are there all the time. And it's like, they're ready to fire all the time. And it's, it's just like, it's it's insane that we have that. Uh, I have a fantasy that they've uh, that whatever power the president has to launch the nukes that they've given Trump false information because they don't trust him with it. I like to think that. Code. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. See that big red button there? Don't ever push it. But if you do, <laughs> d- just so you know, it doesn't actually do anything. <laughs> No, what happens is he pushes it and a little like aerosolized chloroform comes out and just knocks him out on his <laughs> like, desk. He's like Groundhog <laughs> That's Day what wakes I tell up. Myself. And they probably found him like 10 times passed out on his desk yeah. already from pushing the button. From Twitter battles alone. Well, that was the, there was the nuclear scare that no one knew about in the 1980s where um, at like whatever the uh, Soviet equivalent of NORAD is, you know, in a, in a facility under a mountain, you know, in the in the wherever in, in Russia, they got the orders to launch nukes in America. 
and it was confirmed. And the general who was on duty was like, no, I'm not going to do it. Something has to be wrong, even though everyone else there said, no, we have to launch. We have to launch nukes right now because their nukes are already coming at us. It was like a war games, you know, thermonuclear right. war. And he defied it, and he was like, no, I'm not going to be responsible for wiping out half the planet, even if there are nukes coming here at this very second. So you hope, you hope that there are people like that somewhere within the, you know, the Joint Chiefs of Staff or Pentagon or our NORAD or whatever that have that power that would, you know, it, like in, remember the beginning of Spies Like Us, you know, when they have the test and it's like, turn your key. And the guy doesn't, he pulls out the gun and he's like, turn your key, sir, and he won't do it. Like, you just hope that that's yeah. the way real life really is. You know, unfortunately, I think, and we'll get to this a little later when we talk about the Gulf of Tonkin, um, there's just a ton of dishonest actors and, like, fucking liars in the military who will literally lie to the president to push a pro-war agenda. Well, And, that's and what it's I like, think... if you do something, you can't put that cat back in the box or whatever the when I hear JFK on tape, what I hear is somebody who's had the military talking in his ear quite a bit. Oh, yeah, you know, of course. One side of things. And so luckily his advisors gave him another side of things. But that's the sense that I get. It wasn't necessarily that that was his view or that was what he wanted, but this is just what he was hearing. Sure. I, and I, and so he said things that disappointed me, but I mean, I, I do think largely he was more, th- he was certainly more thoughtful than some of the joint chiefs that he had around i mean lemay right. was a fucking maniac you know they talked about after the cuban missile crisis was uh, was resolved you know peacefully lemay said uh you know, they were like oh we won and he's like one hell we should have uh we should wipe him out today <laughs> like that's the way these fucking maniacs think like they, mm-hmm. they 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 literally just have and you know we see it still today we t- when we're talking about north korea fucking bolton Gr- looks so sad bolton is so his he's a sad muscle. <laughs> i didn't right join now. this I mean, fucking is... boat to have peace break out <laughs> <laughs> well did you see fucking lindsey graham on fox and friends the other I, day no he was i talking... didn't see what he do did he, did he, he cry about... did he shed tears <laughs> no not this time but he talked he, he <laughs> casually <laughs> joked about nuking uh iran and north korea i believe nice yeah nice. so these people are just monsters like you know these people, again, are people I have no problem calling pieces of shit because well, it's like they, they I, just don't value human, human life. I, I mean, think it's this. They have a certain mentality. It's a different color, you know? The mentality is an us versus them mentality. So, you know, you're put in a cage, you and one other person, and you're told one of you has to die, you know, fight to the death. This is the mentality these people have, that if we don't kill them in larger numbers, they're coming for us. They believe it. But, they really but do. I, I don't know that they I, I, I guess they some of them I mean John Bolton probably does he's a, he's a fucking lunatic but how do they believe this like how, are they really just dumb like that they don't understand that no other country is a threat to us really No it's a means to power you know it does it doesn't they're, but they're by not that afraid. Token, they, they know that that's a way to rally the people around them to do their bidding for other things for the real thing they want which is which is the accumulation of capital that's the I mean it's yeah well i mean i don't know that but so by that and i'm not disagreeing with that so but by that hypothesis you'd be saying that they don't necessarily believe the shit that they say they're just saying it to further i mean you know there's certainly I think there's with, a, definitely a component of them a contingent of them that truly believe it and live that way and that is how they sleep that is how they rationalize it is because yeah, yeah, yeah. i mean certainly if, if you you're in me, the military you know. you know that that that's programmed into you, you yeah, know, yeah. The, the, there's the, the christian and, fundy like pompeo you know when he was a oh, congressman a and he was talking about you know so the armored christian soldier to wipe out the savage muslims and that's the way to bring 
order to the galaxy. You know, right. so did you he, did you read really that report about that him? Yeah, uh, the other day. Uh, uh, about, I don't think so. The other day about the rapture. Nah. Like how he how he, <laughs> he he not only legitimately yeah. believes the rapture is going to happen, but he thinks that staff he makes fun of staffers that don't believe in the rapture. Apparently, on several occasions, he's made fun of staffers who think that the rapture is not real. Like, he is a fucking lunatic. Okay, so I I just got promoted in my job to a higher-up position where I have uh, access to information that's deemed to be sensitive but not classified. So you're still... You're, you're, you're going to get still... fucking assassinated one day when we're recording <laughs> this. I swear no, to God. I, I mean, I have nothing... I, I like my job. I, I would never misuse my position. No, but literally every single day that Pompeo has been head of the sec- or the Department of State since I got promoted, we've gotten a new like email from him, personally written by him and signed by him in our fucking email inbox every single day. Like he's really <laughs> trying hard to like get people to like him. Like he knows he's got this really bad reputation that's on you know dragging behind him. And he's trying to look official, like not like he's a fucking CI spook or what a are they? Christian funny. <laughs> But like, are they like, like calm sounding, or like, what is he yeah, saying? Yeah, it's just like he's like, "Hey, so I'm your new principal," you know, like that's all it is. <laughs> <laughs> it's literally how they sound. He wants to do like trust falls and <laughs> he's shit. Like with everybody. Principal Skinner's trying really hard to get back in grace with the kids. <laughs> oh man, um, you know. So uh, in the movie, uh, McNamara uh, talks about lesson three, which is uh, there's something beyond oneself. Um, and he talks about his societal responsibility and things like that. I, again, I, I really think that I think that Errol Morris uh, did a bit of a disservice in this movie by not challenging McNamara more. And I think there could have been uh, he could have been he probably would have stopped the interview. With well, that's the thing. It's like it, it, it's a question of access versus, right. you know, like it, there were it, points where he was like, yeah, there's this, but I'm not going to talk about that. And then yeah, and, I, and, yeah, and to me, I was like, "Wait, wait, what? No, don't like let him <laughs> off the hook. Like, no, ask him again. Like, ask him a follow up." Well, so there was a lot of things like that where I was just like, "Man, yeah. you really gotta." Push I mean, him the best one shit. is when he yells, "Like, oh, do you think that maybe invading him had a, had a bit of influence on what the outcome?" Like, <laughs> he yells from behind the camera. Yeah, he's like, so "Oh yeah, well, it might have had a little bit of something to do with things." It's like, are you, <laughs> you to say the least? I, I think. Robert McNamara ultimately is a guy who thinks he is a good person, and I think he—that's they all do. That's what I'm. Telling I don't think you. he does. I, I don't. I you know he looks bereft, and he's trying really hard to hold on to. No, yeah. When he, when, but when I he think he wants medal, to hold on to the idea. Yeah, when he gets the medal of yeah. not to jump, he gets him. The, he gets a medal of freedom from Johnson at one point. Who you could tell, like by then, they did not agree about a lot yeah. of things, you know, and. He get, he said he got really worked up about uh, during the ceremony getting this medal. He couldn't even speak. He couldn't even. Yeah. He didn't yeah. even give a speech. So you could tell, like he had a, he still had a very like uh, moral center as far as wanting to do good for his nation. He just knew he well, hadn't done that because he was up against a much bigger force. It wasn't about money. I mean, he him, said right. his net worth exactly. at Ford, what he was worth, like eight hundred thousand dollars, and he went for he, a twenty five k a year job, you know, mm. so he took a huge step down. Obviously he thought he was, you know, needed, you know, maybe wanted to be a hero. Maybe it was patriotism. Who knows all of the things, but it clearly wasn't just money. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I, I think a lot of, and, and I do think he's, bur- but what I, what I mean is that I think he's trying to hold on to the idea that he's a good person. Unlike someone like Henry Kissinger, who knows he's a fucking maniac, which we'll get to him later. But 
Um, to me, though, I, I just feel like he 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 wraps a lot of the stuff in flowery language and about how he's you know societally responsible and how you know he's just part of a system. But I think he really is lying to himself almost about a lot of this stuff. Um, you, you know, think he could it, have had a bigger impact or you know made things I, go on a different way? I think I I personally would have just uh, stated my opinion and if it wasn't you know uh agreed upon i would have resigned because well that's I, why he got fired ultimately well ultimately you know? but he, he he the damage was was considerably done they, they the didn't have the kind of revolving door for those cabinet positions than the, the way they do now i mean you were expected to be there unless there was a big problem and now they fire the you know it's like what it what it what it <laughs> well now rexon mobileson lasted what 12 14 months <laughs> You know, and it well, it, and that was pretty long. I mean, like, there's yeah, a good number they, of people that got shed before. Probably that, he was going to quit. You know, and he got fired by a, tw- well, by a tweet. That's like getting fired by a telegram back then. <laughs> the whole thing reminded old. me of being in the corporate world and being on one team. You know, you get hired by somebody that you really like and you really respect, and you're like, "Oh, I'm going to do great things." And then suddenly there's a reorg, and you're under somebody that you think is the devil, and you're stuck. <laughs> You know, what the hell do you do? And you try to, you know, you try to influence where you can. You also, you know, care about your job and, and don't, you know, maybe, I mean, he didn't need the money, but, you know, certainly I was in a situation where I did. Um, and so you try not, you try to influence where you can and, and not make waves. And, so, you know, so, well, like, Mac, though, wait, 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 so, so McNamara was to LBJ what Robert Kardashian was to OJ Simpson. <laughs> <laughs> he felt stuck at that. <laughs> well, see, the thing though is, if it, that it, that is fairly accurate, but if he had left, Thank you. it's like nobody nobody fucking thought that LBJ was a, like everyone knew LBJ was a fucking you know lunatic for the way he was you know carrying out the. Well, Vietnam think about War. it. If you so leave, like, if you think you might be the voice of reason, and you leave, isn't that on your hands too? I mean, people talk about Colin Powell like this too. Although mm. I think he's yeah. a lot more complicit than people give him credit for. I mean, fuck, he fucking. Did, he, he's the leading voice of propaganda in the UN that got us into the war in the first place. But, yeah. you know, I, I, later on, he regretted it. I think much like McNamara, once he saw the the depth of the brutality and the depth of the... I mean, he's only in general. How could he possibly know that people would die in a war? <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's so, the and, thing. Nobody wins a war, you know? Well, you, and, you I want, and There's a bigger point that I think is the, the, the most important question that Errol Morris didn't ask during this, but I'll, we'll get to that at the end. But, uh, uh, you know, they, they go on to his <clears throat> planning uh, during, you know, the World War II, where you're talking about the firebombing. Um, and the way he described it with, like, the punch cards and all the shit and the way they were... But it, it really was gross to me, because I, I think, like, he was trying to say, like, well, look how smart I am. I created the sufficient system for finding the best Air Force pilots. But to me, it was, like, Moneyball for, like, mass murder. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it was just very... It was like, oh, great, so you found a more efficient way to kill poor brown people in a country that didn't attack it. Like, I don't, um, you know... I guess I can understand it only again, because I've worked where I've worked and stuff. I, I understand that you can become obsessed with a a piece of, of the puzzle. So efficiency, if that's all he was looking at was efficiency in his job, you know, to please his boss was to make this more efficient. Then, then you feel like you've done your job and you don't think about the rest. Like gross to me. Like at one point he talks about, you know, the B 52s or the B whatever the, the bombing uh, planes were, how, you know, they had a high rate of uh, 
a failure, meaning like they'd be shot down. This was so crazy, yeah. And like 20% of them ended up turning around uh, because people uh, were afraid to go on bombing runs when there was a good chance they'd be killed. You yeah, know, they'd list like, like mechanical failure or something else, but the truth of it was that they were just dead. And his to report die. directly led to this, you know, hey, you'll be court martialed if you do this, all this stuff. And it's like, like the, I, I can't. And he, he almost says it proudly. Like, I, I, I eradicated this inefficiency in the Air Force. But to me, that's like monstrous because think about how many more people were killed in those bombing runs because well, it comes back to not how many more people it. will die if we don't do it. Right. I, I understand that logic because mm-hmm. that logic is like they were you knew that those people wanted to end that war as fast as possible because at the time, it wasn't about trying to prolong war and profit off war forever, right? right. At the time, there was still sure, a sense yeah. of, like, here's this evil we have to stop. But in that process, in order to gear up for that level of war, all of the people that that FDR took, you know, the, the, the boot of socialism off the, <laughs> you know, the neck of all these corporations and said, hey, tool up, we got a job to do, they all figured out how to make money forever, Right? And you couldn't really put that genie back in the bottle. But at least at the time, I understand the, the thinking of let's end it bad but fast. You know, I, I yeah. do understand Sure. That. Although, I, I, you know, the decision to drop the nuclear bombs in Hiroshima and Nagasaki are totally whitewashed and glossed over. And Well, yeah, because yeah. he even talks about that, that those cities were already burned you know, when there they were was, right, and Japan was trying to surrender, well, right. like well, people don't talk about that. Let's talk like, about Japan because that was, you know, they were they were considered to be fanatics, and every man, woman, and child was going to attack the soldiers. But even way before then, bombing civilian targets in Germany just as payback to to be like, let's break them psychologically. Let's we were firebombing German cities too. You know, we we they yeah, bom- that, that had was no it, military presence. Dres- Dresden was that the name of it? I forget. Anyway, they they listed like fifty different cities that we almost completely eradicated. Yeah, that had it, it you was know. like fifty thousand people, civilians died one night in one city in Germany, oh way before they were firebombing Japan. They couldn't even get a plane to Japan yet by that point. Yeah, um, you know, McNamara talked about the hundred thousand civilians in Japan that they uh, firebombed. You know, during that one horrible. Uh, particular bombing raid all i could think and, back to was uh where they're like talking about the the beauty you know of the bombs and everything because oh they were God, showing yeah. that brian footage. williams probably nutted his pants <laughs> like 50 times during this documentary it's like it looks like fireworks or something and then you um, really think about what it really is and the the number of people and children and everything that were dying just crazy well you know at least this documentary actually showed the bombs landing you know right. <laughs> like jimmy Dore's great uh joke is uh, you know uh, cnn will show the bombs taking off al jazeera shows the bombs landing and mm. you know <laughs> This this actually did show the bombs landing, but so he talks about the hundred thousand civilians in Japan, and Errol Morris asks him like, "Did you know before you you, you authorized this that uh, Lemay was going to kill those people?" And McNamara, this is the first <laughs> time that, that he was like, "Well, yeah, well, I you know I I, I guess so, but I was a part of a system." 
So to me, that was the crack in the was, veneer of his respectability. Maybe I didn't authorize it, or maybe I did. Yeah, it was sort yeah. of a back and forth. Like, you remember things from when you were two years old and people yeah, right? protesting down the street, and yeah. you forget whether or not you authorized a new... Well, I mean, uh, some of, the, some of those he, meetings some, probably like, you think about opposing it? six, eight hours long, and what they agreed to or didn't agree to when you've got a binder of all these different plans to go over and what you did approve to or didn't approve to... That stuff probably does get lost in your memory at some point, but yeah, but, but that that goes to the, the the bigger point of like you're murdering tens of thousands of people, and the decision of where you're going to drop one bomb or another on which day comes down to just whether you were bored during that meeting and said yes or no. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's it's um, so divorced. about nukes. Could they have been really that way about nukes? No, no, no about we're just talking about. I'm just talking about r- the other r- stuff about yeah. the fire. But the hundred thousand civilians that were killed yeah. were, were in the, these fire the conventional war the nukes crimes. Were even worse. <laughs> yeah, the, just the the average war crimes, not the yeah. massive. You know, um, and you know the interviewer even asked him like, "Did you think about opposing it?" And he was like, "Well, you know," he kind of started hedging on that, and that was where I was like, "All right, that's the crack in the veneer of like." I was trying to be the voice of reason because it's like, well, did you stand up when you could have? No, you you did like. They talk about his, you know, because of McNamara's dweeby number crunching, he told LeMay uh, to be more efficient, he should take the B-52s down to 5,000 feet uh, and use firebombs. Right. (laughs) Not realizing that LeMay would use this as an opportunity to just butcher majority of populations in, in, in dozens of cities. And, you know, he caused way more damage and destruction because he was trying to be more efficient. So, I mean, again, he he tries to frame it as if he's this, you know, guy who's trying to get out of the war quicker. But what he really did was uh, allow for a lot more brutality. I mean, in in, in the way we conduct warfare. I really... Well, it was one side of it. That's the other part of it. And I think you wanted to go watch some other footage after, too. I, 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 feel I did like... watch Untold yeah, History of the U.S. I feel like I... I need to see more after watching this because this is one guy's view of things and how, you know, in a moment you make a decision based on, you know, all in, all decisions are made on the basis of insufficient data. You know, you know what you know at the time and you make the best call that you think you can make. And so, you know, it makes me want to see other points of view on it and other facts and other accounts. Well, yeah, to speak to that, I mean, you know, you were saying, Anthony, um, how they show the bombs dropping, but it's still a view from the air. There's not, there's, yeah. you don't see a single casualty the ground, in the yeah. entire film. That's one of the reasons I don't like this film that much is because it's purely his point of view or archival mm-hmm. footage from our point of view as the aggressor. You don't see a single Vietnamese person in this film or a single casualty on the ground. You see none of it. It's purely a, a cold removed tactical did we kill enough or not enough? And was that right or wrong? There's no, there's no humanity in this film from the ground. When they gloss over, they gloss over major things. I mean, you know, they, 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 they talk for about two seconds about chemical warfare, which is a major atrocity that we committed multiple times in Vietnam. They didn't talk about the My Lai massacre at all. I don't think nope. in this movie, I didn't um, feel like there was no humanity, but I felt like the humanity was in different places well, they tried to give expect. they tried to, to show his humanity but i don't think they tried to show the humanity of the he tried to be like oh we got to empathize with them but at the same time it wasn't like well i'm responsible for the death of th- hundreds of thousands of civilians b- because of my actions whether somebody else would have done it or not i am responsible because i'm the one that did do it he never I never got the sense that he feels that way or that he would admit that. Maybe I think he... Have you ever heard a person say that? 
I mean, I don't know that anyone would. I, I well, that's. I mean, to me, that's a problem. <laughs> I mean, you know, like Oppenheimer, that's the human animal. <laughs> Oppenheimer was very. Yeah. Uh, he because he, he was just a scientist. And I don't think he realized what he was fucking doing until no, it really. You of course know. not. Yeah. I mean, Einstein was like, "Hey, you know what you shouldn't do with this? Um, <laughs> blow up everybody!" But uh, yeah. Well, you know, what speaking know? of the nuclear yeah. bomb, he 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 very offhandedly says like uh, he doesn't fault Truman for dropping the nuclear bomb. He just kind of brushed past it. And I'm like, that to me is one of the most beyond the fail beyond the pale defenses that he makes in the whole movie. Because, again, as I said, and again, they didn't talk about this, but Japan was trying to surrender mm-hmm. uh, multiple times before we dropped an, uh, a, the, the uh, atomic bomb. And then well, they tried of, to surrender before we dropped the second one. None of these wars it. are just about the war itself. A lot of these things are also about the other world. The rest of the world is watching. It was a show, yeah. Yeah, yeah and they're exactly sending a right. message. You know, we go in and we obliterate Iraq. <laughs> what do you think other countries <laughs> well, are going to do? What was the message? Know? That we're fucking maniacs who don't mind, you know, wiping out civilizations? Kind of, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, <laughs> in the game of world leaders right now, the game is to, to appear fucking crazy. You know, <laughs> Kim Jong-un and Trump and all of that. Yeah, if you appear crazy. and crazy But if they're all playing that right. game and they do have smart people around them that are playing the game, they know better. I, I still feel like... Like a lot of the, you know, call their bluff kind of bullshit is more about just looking good for your own constituents in your own domestic policy realm, right? I I have a question for you going back to the nuclear thing, and I've thought about this a lot, and I get different answers from people. Do you think if FDR would have lived longer, if he would have, I mean, he he gave the order to, to, you know, the Manhattan Project, right? Do you think he actually would have dropped those bombs on Japan? Or do you think FDR would have gone through with trying to broker peace with Japan and not try to um, drop those bombs to scare uh, the Soviet Union? I, I think uh, that he was creating the the, the uh, nuclear weapons as a deterrent. I, I genuinely don't think he would have used them. And I think he had enough sense that when Japan was trying to surrender before we dropped any nukes, he would have accepted their, their surrender. I I don't think he was, I I don't think Truman was a butcher necessarily, but I don't think he was a strong president. I think he was, I think the generals were salivating to fucking use this new shiny toy they got Mm -hmm. and, and prove their might. And it was like, Truman was their shiny new toy. No, no, no. I know. I'm making a joke. Jesus Christ. And, um, and I don't think he was necessarily strong-minded enough to to resist them. Uh, and and I'm not saying I'm not absolving him because he made the fucking decision. Mm-hmm. And he's which you know, is crazy. Think about that, what but... we're saying though. We're saying and you know the president is is one person, right? So it's the president you know, doesn't run the, foreign policy. Though. The, I think we've it's been made very well, clear. You know the fallibility of of one person. You know they, they needs to sign off on things or whatever. And it, it's all about who they surround themselves with. And if you just have you know, uh, an office full of warmongers, what message do you think you're going to get? So yeah. I don't, th- I don't, th- I don't think that FDR was going to bomb Japan either. I think he developed those things and he would have done a test out in the desert that he let everyone see and said, uh-huh. Hey, let's have peace now. And if you watch any of those documentaries on Netflix about, um, you know, uh, Winston Churchill and FDR and, and Stalin all hanging out, which they did about once a year for four or five years in a row, um, Churchill didn't like that FDR and Stalin got along really good. He felt like they were two buddies, you know, and it, he hated communism. Churchill hated communism, loved capitalism. And, you know, FDR was 
definitely more on the socialist side, but I don't think that, um, I don't think FDR would have done that. I don't think he felt the need to scare the Soviet Union. And I, and if he would have said, no, we're not going to, you know, we're going to work for peace with Japan, the public would have gone along with it because they fucking elected him four times in a row. Yeah, they elected him until yeah. he died. And, and I think Truman was kind of like, well, now what do I do? Uh, look tough by dropping nukes. And, yeah. and he, he was like, I got to do something to yeah. put my stamp on this. And war. the generals were like, all right, we love you, Truman. Let's do that. Yeah. I, no, well, I, I you know, think that it's hard when you look at timing. it, when you look at it, not in terms of humanity, but in terms of efficiency. And you go, I can do this one thing, you know, and and without any further, you know, loss of life of, you know, people on my side of things, I can make this over or I can keep this going months and months and send more troops in. I'm not saying I, I agree with it either. I, mm. you know, I'm against nukes, but I can understand how people make themselves, right. you know, talk but themselves But there was no reason in, in World War II to use those nukes. I mean, they're, they're, yeah, it's yeah. just documented that, that it was total show sure. and that, that they had already agreed to, to uh, surrender. It was just a totally unnecessary atrocity. I think it's a good where, argument. I just think that it's a, it's a false argument that we've <laughs> adopted to in this to case rationalize I think, yeah. it. at the time though they were trying very hard to like let's end this thing the, the one of their big hang-ups though is they didn't want to get rid of their emperor and everyone mm-hmm. the u.s kept saying nope it's got to be unconditional and in the end they basically signed an unconditional surrender that still allowed them to keep their emperor anyway <laughs> so like what the <laughs> fuck what the, was the point you know it was yeah. all it was all showboating yeah it was, it was all well and that bullshit. is the question is what do we win at the end of all of these things, what do we really? We're number win? one, Ladonna. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, you Yay. know what we win is a uh, infallibility in war. We're, we're we're undefeated, which is a big thing that they talked about. Uh, mm-hmm. You know why LBJ stayed in fucking Vietnam for so long, and that's something we'll get to in the pen- when I'm going to talk about the Pentagon Papers a little bit at the end. Um, why he stayed in for so long, and that's another thing totally fucking glossed over and not talked about in this documentary, right? Um, you know, McNamara admits that he uh, behaved as a war criminal, <clears throat> and he says, uh, you know, what makes it immoral if you lose, but not immoral if you win? And these are interesting points, but I don't know that he fully knows the answer to them. Well, he knows that whoever wins gets to write the history books. He gets yeah, that. But, right. but I don't think he But then he's like, well, why is one chemical illegal, but another one not? It's like, well, just because not enough people have died yet from that oh, one his, his fucking we'll get to that at the end yeah. but his fucking defense of agent orange was beyond disgusting one of the most disgusting moments of the movie um but uh you know he they talk about how he had first advised uh pulling out our sixteen thousand military advisors which is a hilarious term to me still to this day it's like we have a bunch of troops there but they're yeah. not really troops. They're military advisors. But they have weapons, and they're on the ground, and they're, you know... Well, we said in prep test enough where they would call it, like, Blackwater or Z or, you know, G- yeah, GSH yeah. or Private whatever. Yeah, like, they all, they all have, advisors. like, cool fucking tactical names now. And back then, they were called advisors. Yeah, and, you know, he never explains why they were there in the first place. And this, to me, is the central question that Errol Morris did not ask him and that nobody can fucking answer without giving the game away is why were we in Vietnam in the first place? Why did we intervene in Vietnam in the first place? And I suspect if you ask McNamara, he would give you a really wordy answer and not answer the fucking question. It sounded like they were trying to to push, you know, this was the beginning of the, of the um, 
we're here for democracy. You know, well, that, yeah, that well, whole this argument. This is the yeah. first big example of that. But again, it's like, okay, but what ju legal justification do you have for interfering in another country's affairs and trying to push your preferred system of government? And how does that make you any better than the Crusaders or the or terrorists like yeah, ISIS who try it's to like go that in? That famous line from uh, Sylvester Stallone in the movie Judge Dredd: "I am the law." Mm -hmm. well, the law is sorry. Right. I think it's actually, "I am the law." <laughs> I am the law. <laughs> Yeah. You have to say the it with like, your, like your face whatever. is slopping off of, <laughs> <Yeah>. you know. <laughs> Bell's palsy. Uh, yeah, uh, nothing against people who suffered that. No, no, no. no. Well, I, the argument yeah. that they made during this was, well, okay, so if this one country goes, you know, in the wrong way, and then how, how, you know, how is every other small country that wants to be democratic or wants to fight for itself or whatever going to feel if we don't stand with them? That's the, again, this is the shit we tell ourselves. The and war on communism is it, the, the war on terror is the new war on communism. It's like a nebulous idea that you can never actually defeat. So you can perpetuate a system of endless war. That's really all right, it ultimately they is. Knew, and they can make excuses. They knew those you know. countries were still practicing practicing state capitalism, right? And they could still do business with them if they engaged in some measure of diplomacy. So, you know, like they knew that, that like, you know, at the end when he meets the guy who was a diplomat or higher up in, in Vietnam, but it's like decades later, and he's like, you know, if you would have just studied this a little bit, you would have realized we hated China. We didn't want anything to do with China. We were fighting. It's like, you just didn't know. Yeah. You, you just didn't know anything about us. Like, it's unfucking believable. Yeah. And I, I, I do suspect that at times we would, quote, unquote, fight communism around the world because we didn't want ideas to catch on that were too popular and for <laughs> our system risk. of capitalism yeah. to come under threat. And yeah. Bingo. Like, oh, gee. Which we're seeing now, which is why people are so fucking energized and engaged right now on the left to say, look, what's capitalism is fucking a, an abject failure. I mean, you can look at all these other countries uh, doing way better than it's, us. It's not a failure. It's just it's a system built for somebody else. Right. It, it works exactly the way it's supposed to. Well, no. Right. We, yeah. A failure for society, right. not a failure for the people that uh, perpetuate the system, you know, unquestionably. But. You know we all have FBI files, right? <laughs> oh, oh, wow. <laughs> hey, I you especially got my yeah you, but well that's that's what that's what I did wonder at one point after getting my uh, security clearance was uh, maybe it's like one FBI of those uh, uh, you know keep your, keep your enemies closer kind of things like they can they can <laughs> they can surveil me better if they pay yeah, right. me. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a good thing nobody actually listens to us because if they did we'd be in real fucking trouble. <laughs> Um, yeah, so, you know, uh, he talks about, you know, the story I actually did feel a lot of humanity for him, where I felt his humanity, uh, when, was when he talked about, you know, going to pick out Kennedy's grave at Arlington Cemetery and how, yeah. you know, that, that, that was, I, I, I enjoyed that kind of respite and it, it made me seethe a little bit less at him, you know, for that was Five what was minutes. interesting was after you watched it and you said you had was it was it like complicated emotions Very after complicated this feelings about it's like him. that's when i know it's something good you know it's not a clear answer that's that's life there are no you do the you know the best yeah. you can with with what you know at the time and hopefully when you know better you do better well, if he can get all weepy talking about kennedy then why can't he emote talking about five million dead Vietnamese or 50,000. Because it's so far from him. He didn't see it. 
I mean, it's sad. That, that, you know, we I, I didn't see it, but I've still cried about it. You know, like he's still holding back. You can tell he's I'm holding sure he's back. I'm sure he's seen and, archival footage like we've seen. Yeah. You know, I'm sure he's seen he knows, the shit we've seen. He knows seen what the Mile of Massacre is. It's, he knows. Well, yeah. who's to say what, you know, what's in somebody else's head or what, you know, what's more powerful to them or we why. Say, yeah. no, <laughs> I am um, the judge. <laughs> I'm the law. Uh, so, you know, his lesson seven was uh, belief and seeing are both often wrong which again is just awesome um, and very, you know, <laughs> promising. <laughs> um, <clears throat> Admirals, you know, told McNamara they're absolutely certain of an attack in the Gulf of Tonkin. Uh, and as a direct result, we escalated it in Vietnam. Now, again, this is what I mentioned earlier about how there are dishonest actors within the military industrial complex who literally will fucking lie just to further their goal of, you know, unlimited warf, uh, you know, infinite warfare Right. And these people are the people that we rely on for information and intel on how we're going to make decisions. So for all my... Do you, you know, really? Not me. When I say we, I mean the, the government, you know, like the U.S. Ugh. Yeah, um, and you know that, that somewhere out there is a room full of people or, you know, and at least a few of them are saying to somebody like Trump or Putin, you know, they're trying to embarrass you and, you know, you can't let them get away with, you know, all of that kind of stuff to try to, to push things further. But and it's just still amazing to me that people get called fucking conspiracy theorists when we say things like, hey, you know, maybe the, the you know, the U.S. media at the behest of the military industrial complex is manufacturing this bullshit chemical attack in Syria mm. because we want to go to war and, you know, do a regime change in Syria. It's like, oh, well, you're a conspiracy theorist. You're a <laughs> we just we fucking have documented. We, we did it in the 70s. We did it in the fucking 90s, you know, in, with the Gulf War. We did it in the 2000s with Iraq. Who, who burned what, down more the time? German parliament back in the 30s? Yeah, I one? mean, it's like, how many times do we need to be fucking lied to by the government before we say, <laughs> yeah, they're, they're fucking liars. Don't believe anything they <laughs> it's say. Like that, like, it's like that joke. If you guys make fun of me 13 or 14 more times, I'm out of here. <laughs> I'm out of here. <laughs> That's how I feel about this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Just when I think I'm out, you pull me back in. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, what's crazy to me is like, you know, we, we talk a lot about on the podcast about the AUMF, but it sounds like the Tonkin Gulf resolution was essentially the same thing back then. Um, you know, basically just gave the president unilateral power to declare war without congressional approval. Right. And um, it's amazing how the fucking military industrial complex works it's a wheel like they work in the same way you know like they 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 pressure uh the president into seeking additional war powers so that they can uh you know further create this kind of endless war because like if you know if congress approved a war they could just as easily say all right let's stop we don't want you to do this but once you have the power as president to mm -hmm. declare war and bomb wherever you want you are not accountable to anybody so I, I definitely picked up your Game of Thrones reference there. Um, well done. <laughs> yeah. Wait, which one? Yeah. Break the wheel. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think it was almost subconscious. Thing. I know it was. <laughs> That's why I left it. <laughs> Love that fucking show. Uh, check out uh, Left of the Throne, by the way, coming up oh, <laughs> next year whenever Game of Thrones comes still back. Still in development, everybody. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, we should actually do a recap before uh, the season starts, just to get up, just to get something up there. We're, we're not going to talk about Game of Thrones right now, but um, I haven't watched late. it yet. It's too late. <laughs> Spoiled. 
So, um, you know, Johnston thought that the Gulf of Tonkin was an escalation by the North Vietnamese. But again, this is to, to the point where you we were saying earlier, did anybody think to get on the fucking phone with them before we decided to go <laughs> bomb them and escalate a fucking war in a country like that? We're, that didn't, you know, that as far as we know, didn't attack us. Like maybe did, their cell was turned off. <laughs> yeah, they didn't have reception in the jungle, I guess. Exactly. I don't know. I mean, it's just fucking crazy to me that we wouldn't seek diplomatic means before to confirm something before we just decide oh fuck it let's but again you know it seems crazy to me but we just did it in syria so it's like why would we you know i mean they probably called up assad and was like hey um let us bomb a couple (laughs) of meaningless targets and you can look good and we can look good and we won't actually escalate anything And and i feel like there's a lot of that where it's there's there's never, you know, like uh, McNamara's talking about Woodrow Wilson saying, well, we'll never have another big war between superpowers. Well, he was wrong, but after World War II, we kind of never really did. You know, it's, it, it is Cold Wars, or it is proxy wars, or it is just a superpower yeah, a bombing a, proxy a, a wars second. Superpowers. It just, it's war. We're just not calling it war anymore. <clears throat> yeah. That's, yeah. That's, as far as Which I'm Because it's, just, oh, it's yeah. just standard it's, practice. It's like, it's it's like Bill Hicks said, war is when two armies fight each other. <laughs> yeah well he's talking about the first gulf war i think when he was talking about that yeah i mean there was it's like he really call it a war if no, it's like there's no there's no war when it's um 250,000 casualties versus 87 <laughs> like you, you well can... and that was one one of the pieces that mcnamara did bring up during this was should there be and i i felt like he was getting philosophical and ethical in a lot of this but but it was interesting to me should there be a proportionality you know rule as far as warfare that you know you don't go kill millions of people when there are we just ignore them <laughs> the geneva convention <laughs> lies out a, lays out a lot of uh laws and and rules and etiquette for warfare yeah. and we just ignore the whole fucking thing even though we signed it and every other country uh signed it but you know it, it's just oh, advantage of being number one right i feel, I feel like etiquette more. for warfare should be the title of a zine <laughs> oh man john bolton would not be the editor of etiquette for warfare <laughs> tell you that john, much. Probably if not. john bolton made a zine that would kill the entire west coast <laughs> so kills the yeah <laughs> that's what happened the um, industry of 12 dozen people that actually print anyway so you know lbj they show some archival footage of him giving a speech and he had a really disgusting justification uh and you mentioned it, i think a little bit earlier where he says you know if this little nation goes down the drain and uh can't maintain independence then uh think about what will happen to the other little nations right and and to me in that moment i was like you know people say oh george bush was the stupidest president all this stuff he sounded just like george fucking bush at that moment but at but nobody was you know pulling the strings on lbj like they were on bush like he genuinely believed this dumb shit so i you know i i think he gets a little way too much credit you know even with that, I don't, I don't know anymore. When something comes out of these people's mouths, was it their well, idea? Well, I mean, it's propaganda, but I mean, being fed to them. I think he's smarter than Bush in that, like he, you know, knew that this was a bullshit justification, and we find out. Well, later let's say it was true. Papers. Let's say that country after country decided to become communist. <laughs> yeah, like why? Is that the <laughs> why is that not their fucking choice? Why can't they choose to yeah. do that? They're a sovereign nation. They have no obedience to any other nation. Why do we get to decide what system of government we want, well, but every other country the can't? 
the narrative is not that the people decided. The narrative is that a few people decided it imposed this on everyone That's else. That's the same fucking thing that democracy is. Even yeah, like, it's a fucking it's just, it's, I know. It's just total projection on our part because that's literally what we do. And it's like, well, what if some other country came in that was more powerful than us? Which is why everyone's so terrified of China. Is like, if mm-hmm. they become more powerful than oh, us, man. they, they really are. should fuck. Well, what if China, sh- but military- China just like ships all of our manufacturing back to us, and we're like, hooray! And then all of a sudden we get cancer the next week. Yeah, we, we, we all fucking die. Got our jobs yeah, back, um, and now we can't breathe. Uh, you know, McNamara also says, uh, lesson eight, be prepared to re-examine your reasoning. Uh, you know, he said we really, uh, he said that we should never apply military or economic force unilaterally, uh, you know, because during Vietnam, much like a lot of these other wars we talk about, you see a lot of parallels with Iraq. We had no real allies. N- none of it our ma- major allies. It made me scream, though. made me scream. I was actually yelling when I was watching that part. I said to my significant other, but that's the thing is now because of how powerful we are, all we have to do is say to France and UK, Hey, they all back up the heinous shit that we, yeah, you guys are in now, you know that, right? And they're like, Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. We'll send you. Yeah. Which again, to me, was him rationalizing. It's like, no, we shouldn't fucking go to war with a country unless we're literally under attack and defending ourselves. Like you, you are the well, secretary wait. of defense. No one's like allowed you were to not attack so- anybody first. And how is any war going to happen? <laughs> <laughs> I know. God. And what, and look, you know, like Wolf Blitzer says, you got to think about all the jobs that we'll lose in the uh, creation of these, uh, these warplanes. Oh, like, what are we going to do if we stop creating these warplanes? My last name was Blitzer. <laughs> and my first name was Wolf. I would worry about the association of being too pro-war, but uh, apparently if you're a prominent anchor on uh, CNN uh, or other uh, cable news networks, you have no such qualms. It's a feature. To be be fair, Wolf Blitzer does not have an original thought in his head. He is the Ron Burgundy of CNN. Like literally anything that his producer tells him to ask, he will ask. Mm. And his producer is probably, you know, the fucking CEO of Raytheon or Boeing or whatever. Um. You know, uh, so, you know, they showed some archival footage of the news reports during Vietnam where it was like, well, you know, another 30,000 casualties uh, in the last year. You remember when the news actually used to report on military casualties? <laughs> like, to me, that was one of the most striking things is like, we still have people dying overseas every month and it never gets reported on cable news or on you know network well, news I'll, anymore. I'll take some responsibility for that because because the news is so news stressful. No, I'm just kidding. no it, it's so stressful that I, you know I have moments of just like no, show me some damn puppies and kitties already. I don't want to hear but it anymore. They don't even you know? do it, so it's like you don't even have the choice. You're not we're not informed. Yeah, they don't, by I mean, that's, well, but uh, gener- our our behaviors is what caused that though. Our watching, you know, what we'll watch, what we'll put up with, is part of what influenced that. Yeah, I mean, so William Westmoreland, who was one of the, the generals who was over there in Vietnam, said, yeah, he was the guy that said that the Orientals value human life less than the Western people, um, which is about the most horrible, abhorrent thing. Uh, he I was a big later, fan right? of the, the false narrative that um, allowing the media to cover the war in Vietnam is what turned people against it. Well... I mean, he's he's Good. right, but that should be the way it is. If the people disagree with the war because they've been shown the truth, that should mean you shouldn't be there. You shouldn't be fighting that war. 
Well, to them, that's the bug, and to you know me, right. that's the feature. You know, like to to, right. to any rational person, but, it's like but yeah, well, we should know that the truth. bug by saying, well, if you want to cover the war, you have to be embedded. So now you have all these reporters that are fucking rah rah with the troops, fucking Ray Ban, not Ray Ban, but those wraparound fucking shades and make like a fucking <laughs> cop. You know, it's like, well, if yeah, you don't yeah. come with us, ISIS is going to behead you. And then they like, and even that, they don't even do it that much anymore. Yeah, they don't no, even it's, do it. it's just they don't total it blackout. Yeah, and then if you um, are still a war reporter, it's like, well, you're one of those crazy lefty, you know, pinko commie type people. Nobody believes anything you report. And if you report on a protest, you can like be that. shot and killed. It is kind of weird because it used to be if it bleeds, it leads, right? It used to be, you know. If but, it but... bleeds and it's black, it leads is really what that should be. Like, right. they, Well, that's, re- that's the thing. Now they'll, they'll talk about a, a car accident or something, but not, right. you know, the it, mass sections. It, uh, of the, the violent traffic violence doesn't challenge authority. People don't feel outraged and go, why did 40,000 car fatalities happen? You know. Or like what, you know, like that thing that we, we saw in Bowling for Columbine where it was like the producer of cops. It was like, well, if a black guy, you know, goes and robs a convenience store, that, that'll that make TV. But, you know, when we steal natural resources from a country, they're not going to put that on cops, you know? Right. It's like, right. um, but what's worse? I, I You know, it, it's just anything that doesn't challenge the establishment narrative. And again, we kind of have Bill Clinton to thank for this because him deregulating the telecoms industry with the Telecommunications Act in 95 allowed all these media companies to consolidate to the point where it's six giant media companies owned by six of the richest fucking guys in the world. Did you guys know that Yahoo and AOL are now under Verizon? Defense contractors. Yeah. Yahoo yeah, and AOL are not They're all I, consolidated. I didn't, yeah. I didn't know that, but again, yeah. it's like, I, I nothing surprises me because there's six fucking companies that control every aspect of media. <laughs> they just updated their privacy policies so that they basically were saying they can read any of your messages and messenger they can read your attachments they can look at your photographs oh, your, you guys you know, read the new yeah. twitter thing where if you embed tweets on a blog where they don't like the shit you write on your blog they can delete your account for that oh, there oh you wow. go. That's, that's nice yeah they, they they basically written into their terms of service they can suspend you without reason now yeah and, and, pretty much. and suspend your account without reason um which is which is great for a company so, that's supposed to be about free even speech. though all these corporations own the media and the, the the news about war has been blacklisted so that we can operate in this amnesia about what our country does, we still have stories about people who resisted, even though it was never covered at the time and has barely been covered now. And I don't know if you know about a guy named Hugh Thompson Jr., um, but he is that the self-immolating guy? No. Hugh, Hugh Thompson Jr. was was a helicopter captain in Vietnam who stopped the Miley massacre because he was flying over it after already hundreds of people have been killed, you know, ditches, rice paddies full of civilians, and he landed. People being scalped. And yeah. they could tell what had happened because they'd heard about this kind of shit happening, you know, where they just entire villages of civilians were killed by U.S. You know, occupational troops. Hmm. And he got down on the ground and he saw there was still some people alive, civilians, right? Uh, South Vietnamese civilians. And he could see there was a platoon of U.S. forces walking towards him, towards them. So he landed the helicopter between these people that were hiding in the U.S. troops. And he got out. Rotor blades were still going. And uh, he runs over to the platoon and he says, what's going on here? And they said, well, we're, we're just doing what we do. We're taking care of our, you know, doing our job. And he's like, 
no, you're not. And if you go any further towards that group over there, I'm going to have my, the, the two guys on the guns in my helicopter are going to turn their guns on you. Holy shit. And <laughs> that fucking guy is such a badass. That's awesome. And it stopped the whole thing. And he got, you know, harassed for a long time. And eventually somebody, sure. you know, um, Seymour Hearst that was investigating that Miley massacre found out about this guy. And he finally, he got some medal, but it was like 20 years later, right? You know, because that's how it works in the military. Did he get disciplined by the military? He didn't get disciplined, but he got hazed the fuck out of it, right? Of course. Of course. Um, it's like cops. It's like when you report on horrible shit cops exactly. do. fucking make your exactly. life miserable. Well. And when you want to talk about resistors, that's the resistance. You know, it's not hashtag the resistance mm. and I'm brave on Twitter. Those are the real yeah. people that we need he to He risked be. his life. That's amazing, and, but all it took was one guy standing up to, to a bully to stop it. He only had to use a little bit of power or a threat of power against people that were more powerful, but at least had some level of, like, understanding to make that massacre stop. You know, and... and well, and so many of us feel or convince ourselves that we're powerless, you know, but think about are there opportunities when we could do that when we just don't even realize it? Don't think about yeah. it. Or, or you're too worried about the consequence to yourself and not worried enough about somebody who has no power and, and could right. lose their life or lose their livelihood in the moment. Yeah. Um, you're bringing you know. me down, guys. No, <laughs> Try. I picked the Try. movie. It's my fault. <laughs> so, you know. This about that part and about this time in the movie, they talk about you know the chemical warfare very briefly, way too briefly for my liking. And you know he gets asked about Agent Orange, and he fucking like uses semantics to say, well, it wasn't illegal to use that particular chemical weapon on civilians. Uh, you know what makes one chemical illegal, but what what makes another? You know, but and like I feel like Errol Morris just totally fucking lets him off the hook, and it's like. I didn't take it that way. I, th I felt like he was trying to say it was wrong because it's, it seems arbitrary which ones we ban and which ones we allow. Uh, I, I didn't take he, that he was... I feel like he was very defensive, though, at first. He yeah. was like, well, it wasn't illegal to use a Agent Orange. He says, you know, there's a lot made about Agent Orange, but it wasn't illegal at the time. And Well, that's I, the thing. I mean, what what is the testing, you know? Yeah. It's like, let me defend myself, but also I'm going to act like I'm indignant about it. What's like, the protocol? Like, how much testing does something have to go through before you're going to go? I mean, chemical you know, warfare and, is totally banned in the Geneva Convention. You got to kill a lot right. of bunny rabbits with a chemical before they'll say it's. Illegal. But see, they aren't calling it chemical warfare. They're calling it we're I mean, just it dealing with vegetation, it's not right? Yeah. Explosions, you know. Yeah, we're just we're just getting rid of the we're trees only because out we don't know how to fight in that. Supply. We're not actually yeah. bombing them, giving them all fucking cancer. But it's you know, only whatever. it's only Again. one of the technical forms of genocide, not the real one devils in the details it's, it's just yeah, to me that was another really gross moment in the movie um it, but it was a sly insidious one you know it's not one that's immediately evident um yeah. you know he says that at the end of the movie Aramore has asked him who bears responsibility for the vietnam and he immediately says johnson he's like johnson johnson does um and then you know he kind of almost scolds the audience for thinking that johnson didn't carry out the will of the american people because that was a big critique at the time it's like nobody wants to be at war but you're just staying there. And I'm like, why are you defending him if you think he's responsible? And clearly he didn't carry out the will of the American people because Vietnam War was massively unpopular. You had to force people to fucking serve. It was so unpopular. It, it was after the fact or, or later on when Nixon took over. But in the early years, it was still, the you look at the polls at the time, it was still a popular war when it first started. Until they really started putting in like half a million people that were drafted 
then it got unpopular. But the first few years, up until about 66, it still yeah. had a majority. Well, they also lied about the nature of it in the first oh, of few course, years. Of course, right. but we still, we'd never lost. I mean, you, you had all the, 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 the technological power of uh, all the, the German rocket scientists that we kidnapped from, from Nazi Germany. We had guy, British you know, it, yeah, we had with the most technologically advanced our weapons uh, in history and we were getting beat by rice farmers you know john mccain yeah. was dropping bombs made by rocket scientists on civilians he got shot down by rice farmers and stabbed in the dick with a spear oh god oh. i didn't and, know that and, part. And, yeah. and now advocates for war on a near constant basis I'm, I'm, i don't know what the know, fuck happened to him but. i don't wish any, i don't wish anyone misfortune except for if there's a huge amount of irony involved in it um yeah right um you know so i want to talk about some stuff that wasn't covered in the movie um that i think was either glossed over or totally uh ignored uh pentagon papers revealed a lot about uh the way we carried out the war in vietnam and and the things that we did and how the lbj administration completely misled and lied intentionally to the american people and McNamara was a huge part of that. And I think that the movie totally um, ignores that. And I just want to read a little bit of an excerpt here uh, discussing the things that were revealed <laughs> in the Pentagon Papers. Um, the papers revealed that the U.S. had expanded war with uh, the bombing of Cambodia and Laos, coastal raids on North Vietnam, and Marine Corps attacks, none of which had been reported by the American media. Uh, the most damaging revelations in the papers revealed that four administrations, Truman, Eisenhower, Kennedy, and Johnson, had misled the public regarding their intentions. Uh, for example, the Eisenhower administration actively worked against the Geneva Accords. Uh, the JFK administration knew of plans to overthrow South Vietnamese le uh, leader, uh, I'm going to butcher this, Ngo Dinh Diem, uh, before his death in a November 1963 coup. Uh, and President Johnson decided to expand the war while promising, uh, quote, we seek no wider war. During his 1964 presidential campaign, uh, which, uh, which he also, by the way, said he wouldn't put uh, American boys on the ground, is what he said, which was total bullshit. Uh, including plans to bomb North Vietnam, uh, Vietnam well before the 64 election. Uh, Johnson had been outspoken uh, against doing so during the election. And claimed that his opponent, Barry Goldwater, was the one that wanted to bomb North Vietnam. Um, oh, this was the important thing. So in another example, a memo from the Defense Department under the Johnson administration listed the reasons for American persistence. 70% to avoid a humiliating U.S. defeat to our reputation as a guarantor, meaning we've never lost a war. 70% just because we didn't want to hurt our ego and our pride and our standing in the world where we've never lost a war. 20% to keep South Vietnam and the adjacent territory from from Chinese hands. So, that you know, the whole we're trying to stop the spread of communism. They admitted that only 20% of their motivation was to stop the spread of communism. 10% uh, to uh, permit the people of South Vietnam to enjoy a better, freer way of life. Uh, also to emerge from the crisis without unacceptable taint from methods used. Um and not to help a friend, although it would be hard to stay in if asked out. Um, None of that speaks to the financial motivations. 
Well, I mean, of course, that's something that's even unspoken in in, in secret, uh, you know, classified memos. Right. Um, but that's but that's I think even more Machiavellian and behind the scenes than even maybe some of the uh, electeds realize. You know, I think that's totally something that they're just kind of conditioned for by their generals and their military advisors. So, if the military industrial complex, all they want is war, 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 and all of that. Why wouldn't they have let and pushed for Hillary Clinton to be in as opposed for Trump? I don't think they that they did. push for I Trump they did. at all. Yeah, they kind of. They, I mean, military. You know, you know, for all the bullshit that Trump, you know, says, he's not wrong about the fact that the quote unquote deep state that the intelligence agencies uh, can't stand. It's not even that deep. Just have... look at who owns the networks. <laughs> GE the state. is the largest yeah. weapons manufacturer and owns MSNBC, NBC, and CNBC. So, of course, they're going to run favorable pro-war, pro-Hillary Clinton coverage when that's their biggest profit, is making weapons. Yeah, I guess I just thought that they never lost. You know, when, when the military-industrial complex won something, they generally get it. So, it's just interesting that that, that didn't turn out that way. Yeah, I mean, this, the, this that whole election was a that's, fucking shit show. Yeah, I mean... You can Chris, only overcome Chris, so much. Chris Hedges uh, <laughs> predicted this a while ago, that austerity would become so bad... Um, and that the, the left would be so marginalized that instead of workers who have been, you know, shit on by awful, you know, things like NAFTA and TPP, instead of channeling that anger towards a pro-union, pro, you know, socialist communist revolution, it would instead go the other way, and they would go after, you know, just a, a horrible pariah of just awful independent but far-right wing independent values, and that's exactly what happened. Right. Yeah. Well, I think he rightly understood that the Democratic Party was working to stifle and crush leftist uh, uprisings, while the Republican Party was very susceptible to a demagogue like Trump coming yeah. in and just well, taking over the whole apparatus. Well, 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 very yeah. welcoming to those people who were dejected, whereas you know the, yeah, the Democratic Party's base. like everything's fine. You know, we don't. <laughs> there's nothing's wrong. We just America's already great. You know, well, it's another, you know, it's another great quote by uh, Jimmy Dore, uh, very one of my very favorite uh, podcast hosts, uh, who says that, um, you know, the Republican Party fears their voters. The Democratic Party fears their donors and (laughs) scolds their voters. Um, Well, the Republican Party understands their own base well enough to manipulate them very well. Sure. Democratic Party doesn't even know their own base enough to know what they want, let alone to well, more, manipulate I mean, them. They're buffoons. I mean, Tom Perez is objectively a, a dumb person. Like, I, I, you, you can't listen to him speak and not think, like, wow, this guy's a fucking idiot, you know? I don't, I don't even turn on the volume. I just look at that T-shirt over top of his white dress shirt, and I know that he's <laughs> just saying it's a dumbass shit. <laughs> it's fucking unbelievable. So, um... So, again, but the, the reason I mentioned that stuff in the Pentagon Papers is, again, McNamara knew way more than he let on. And, of course, he was complicit and participatory in the total gaslighting of the American people by the Johnson administration. So it's all nice that he can cry about it on camera, but he he really glosses over a lot of the atrocities that he is directly responsible for or had a big hand in. All right. Selective memory. Maybe yeah. he thinks that's why they killed Kennedy. And he thought, if I speak out, they'll do the same to me. He's 85, right? What the well, hell I he mean, now, now? But that's the thing. is, like, now he can admit it. Well, now he's dead. But, but at the time of the documentary, he yeah. was 85. Right. Yeah, um, maybe it's just like, you know, I didn't make a difference when I could have. And now, if whatever I said wouldn't matter. So, 
well, they even asked him, like, why didn't you speak out after you left? And he, and he didn't really have a good answer. Like, I don't even remember what he said, but it was not a, <laughs> he didn't really have an answer. Um, you know, so I, I, I gave McNamara a lot of shit here, but uh, someone who's not spoken about in this documentary, just because he kind of, you know, came right after on the heels of McNamara is Henry Kissinger. And if you think that McNamara's role in Vietnam was bad, uh, Henry Kissinger is about a thousand times worse and less remorseful. Uh, I, I came across this gem. He's no, I mean, no, no regrets. Kissinger has no remorse. He's never made a mistake. He, he's a fucking monster. He has like, Henry never Kissinger is a piece of shit. Like of the, he's the definition of when I say somebody's a piece of shit. Henry Kissinger. I want to. Re- I came across this amazing quote from a New Yorker article uh, that came out about the time of Fog of War, um, <laughs> entitled uh, "Does Henry Kissinger Have a Conscience?" <laughs> um, so we. Uh, so from this article in the New Yorker, uh, we have repeatedly reviewed evidence of Kiss- uh, Kissinger's callousness. Some of it is as inexplicable as it is shocking. There's a macho swagger in some of Kissinger's remarks. Uh, it could perhaps be explained away if he had never wielded power, like thus far the gratuitously offensive uh, presidential candidate Donald Trump. Uh, and one has an awareness that Kissinger, the long-lasting, uh, longest-lasting and most iconic pariah figure in modern American history, is but one of a line of men held in fear and contempt for the immorality of their services rendered and yet protected by the political establishment in recognition of those same services. William Tecumseh Sherman, Curtis LeMay, Robert McNamara, and more recently Donald Rumsfeld all come to mind. Um, In Errol Morris's remarkable 2003 documentary, Fog of War, we saw that McNamara, who was an octogenarian at the time, was a tormented man who was attempting to come to terms unsuccessfully with the immense moral burden of his actions uh, as U.S. Defense Secretary during Vietnam. Uh, McNamara recently wrote a memoir, which he uh, attempted to grapple with his legacy. Uh, Around that time, a journalist named Stephen Talbot interviewed McNamara, then also secured an interview with Kissinger. Uh, As he later wrote about his initial meeting with Kissinger, I told him, uh, quote, I told him I had just interviewed Robert McNamara in Washington. That got his attention. He stopped badgering me, and then he did this extraordinary thing. He began to cry. But no, not real tears. Before my eyes, Henry Kissinger was acting. Oh, boo-hoo, boo-hoo, Kissinger said, pretending to cry and rub his eyes. He's still beating his breast, right? Still feeling guilty. He spoke in a mocking, sing-song voice and patted his heart for emphasis. Yeah, I feel like Kissinger is the less angry version of Benjamin Netanyahu. But it's it's yeah, still that yeah. same, just like, who gives a shit about the pile of skulls, you know, dripping well, blood. Well, you know them. that, like, a lot of CEOs are, are you know, test as psychopaths or sociopaths. Mm-hmm. That is a and fucking psychopath. Same, like, that's, yeah, I was saying the same is true, I think, for a lot of our, our government and our politicians, too. I, I, that's that the callousness of Henry Kissinger is just unfucking believable to me. Like I knew he was a bad guy, but when I read that, I like I, yeah. I was kind of stunned. It's, like, that's you know we we read McNamara as like, come on, guy, get your shit together and like just yeah, yeah, yeah. fucking come come to grips with what you did, be a human being. Whereas Kissinger and those guys, they look at McNamara, he's the fucking pussy to them. Like how. You know, they look down on him for trying to have a soul. Yeah. 
it's just it's just really gross well i mean i um, think about it it goes back to or perhaps you know sometimes you wind up in a place that you don't expect yourself to be so he was an academic he studied he talked about studying you know ethics and logic and all of that stuff he was very cerebral about this stuff i don't think he was ever supposed to wind up where he did and i think he only did it for kennedy um so i don't know so I just wanted to give people a quick rundown of the stats from the Vietnam War, just to think about this war that we had no business being in, that we only stayed in because of uh, pride, essentially, as we learned from the Pentagon Papers. Uh, on the North Vietnamese side and the Viet Cong side, um, total military dead, 850,132. Total wounded, 604,200. On uh, our side... Um, just Americans, 58,220 dead, 303,644 wounded. Um, total military dead on our side, 318,568 uh, to 377,311,000. Uh, so uh, upwards of 350,000 people died. And 1,340 a uh, thousand wounded uh vietnamese civilians dead 627,000 to 2 million uh vietnamese total dead 966,000 to 3 million 91 um uh, you know it's just like and as they said they would have they would have fought until every one of them was gone at that point th 3 million people are yeah. dead as as a near direct result of our intervention uh and it's like how can anyone think we're the good guys like i, I just don't because we had more money invested i mean that's the thing is you know people say well how could rice farmers defeat the most powerful most technologically advanced military on earth it's like well because they were fighting for something and we weren't we fought for nothing it's also the the tactics of warfare. I mean, how did American revolutionaries beat the Brits? You know, the Brits were Home wanting to advantage. fight in a certain way, you know, and we just, you know, did it differently and took advantage of the land and all of that. So, I mean, I think there's more than one reason, but. Well, you know, as Vicini says in The Princess Bride, to lighten the mood slightly, you know, <laughs> one of the main, one of the uh, most known facts is uh, never get into a land war in Asia, <laughs> you know. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's. It, it doesn't matter where it is. It's the same thing. Yeah, we've been in Afghanistan for 17 fucking years. We're losing that war, too. And we always were going to lose that war. Same reason the Soviet Union lost the war in, in, in Afghanistan is because you're never going to lose somebody that has a reason to fight in their own homeland. You'll never beat them, ever. Well, also, if you don't define what winning is, that's another piece of it. You know, if you don't yeah, define you, the win, then you the can stay there forever. The only way to win is to take over the country, colonize it, and populate it with yourself. That's the only way America's ever won a foreign war where they intended to, you know, not. <laughs> and it's like, do you even count? Like, what do you, you think that's like a, you know, like as a country, do we think that that's a win that we <laughs> eradicated a sovereign, you know, entity and a way yeah. of life to, to, install and, and our own. the only difference was again you know fdr that was like we're gonna set up these countries with this great socialist constitution they're all gonna have health care and a job and a nice the marshall yeah. plan greatest thing we've ever we, done foreign we, policy -wise. all those countries got all the great you know second bill of rights that we never got 
And that's yeah, why right. they, you know, that's why they were like, okay, we'll agree to those terms. We're gonna get, we're gonna fucking make out like bandits. Yeah. Well, um, yeah. I mean, I think we've said what we can say about this. Uh, I think you know it's a complicated <clears throat> legacy that Robert McNamara has. Yeah. Um, but certainly he's not as bad as Kissinger, which is a pretty low bar. There's one more point about the film that um, I think should be said, and it's when he's talking about the guy named Norman Morrison, who was a Quaker, who uh, self-immolated outside his office window. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And uh, people always say, well, that's just a waste of a life. It doesn't make any difference, and you just killed yourself and whatever. And clearly that's not the case. I don't think that's ever the case when someone makes that kind of sacrifice, but especially when it affects someone's life who's in power uh, decades later that that affected them. Um, and it was just a case of, this, uh, of a, uh, uh, an attorney named uh, David Buckle who did the same thing just a couple weeks ago in Brooklyn uh, in protest of how we're fucked as far as climate change is concerned and uh, fossil fuels are ruining the planet still. Um, got almost no coverage i think it got a lot more coverage yeah. than people give it credit for um because there's been many other cases of this that got zero coverage or got like on the traffic report they don't want to create a trend well yeah but i think people just don't want to think about that because we're so we're so attuned to the idea of like every life is precious but you know nobody it's okay if everyone's life suffers but no one makes that ultimate sacrifice to make a statement we're still really repulsed by that for some reason and i don't know why i don't know why that is but i don't know if i'm ever convinced that they're really making a statement or if they were just someone suicidal that chose you know uh, yeah, it a takes a lot of commitment on. to an idea to light yourself on fire that's <laughs> why i think they're suicidal more likely than they were committed uh, to an so idea the buddhist that. monk that lit himself on fire one of the f- most famous cases of this it was documented sent pictures all around the world um was technically not a protest against Vietnam. It was a protest about how uh, DM's government in South uh, uh, South Vietnam was treating Buddhist monks because that guy was basically a dictator that we propped up, at, which led to that coup, right? So it's been mm-hmm. a tri- it's often attributed to protests in the Vietnam War, but it's a little bit more specific than that. But nobody would call that guy mentally ill. They would say, "Well, he's a Buddhist monk. He's enlightened. He had a, a real reason to do it." You know, it was a courageous act. He just sat there and did this. And it made a profound statement heard around the world. Well, um, I think that uh, somebody who's a Quaker probably put a lot of thought into it. I think a guy who was an attorney his whole life, uh, who was a master composter, who was that connected to the earth so profoundly that he decided to take his own life. I don't think that he came that lightly either. Um, so I only say this because I feel like there are acts of resistance that might be misunderstood at the time that can have a profound impact and make change decades later that we don't even realize. So don't knock it till you try. And, and, and let me be clear. We're, we're not advocating that any of our listeners light themselves on fire, but I, I do don't think Don't try that, this at home. You know, it, it is misleading to call them, I, I think, you know, crazy or anything like that. It's like, it, it almost kind of feels to me the way that, you know, Bill Maher, before he was as the, the fucking worst person in the world, back when he had that show on NBC, he said, you know, people were like, oh, you know, these terrorists were cowards. He's like, they weren't cowards. Like, they fucking killed themselves for a cause they believed in. I, I think too often we try to attribute certain attributes to things that we think of as unspeakable acts because we can't 
ourselves comprehend doing them. But I think that in certain extreme situations where somebody feels so powerless and so um, passionate about something that they believe in, they think, fuck, I got to do something with my life. Like, I just want to, you know, and this is, again, not an endorsement of it at all, but I, right. I, I don't well, think I mean, he was that, a crazy person. I do think that, that powerlessness they... that you're talking about, all of those things are, you know, reasons why why people um, people are suffering. These are the same things that make someone suicidal might make them say, well, at least my life would be worthwhile in this instance because it doesn't feel worthwhile over here. Things suck so much and people are suffering so yeah. much that they're willing to do that. So. Yeah. I'm not necessarily saying that everyone that commits suicide has a serious mental illness. I mean, some, some people could make that argument. I I think some people are just extremely desperate and um, don't see a way out. I don't know how else to say it. And, you know, honestly, if we were all paying attention, we would all be fucking hopeless because it feels like, and not saying to that point, but you know, like it, 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 the situation does feel, it, it can often feel like you're powerless to do anything. Like when you're when you're you know just watching the mm-hmm. news and watching the shit. They keep us just fat and happy <laughs> enough. That's it. So yeah. you know we we see examples in movies all the time where the a, a hero or like a sub not the real hero because no one wants to see the real hero die but like the one of the sidekicks in the very beginning of the third act of a film sacrifices themselves in a in a um, symbolic way that doesn't really change the outcome of the film but the hero then becomes really personally involved. Like, oh, man, my friend just fucking, you know, like, and then the hero goes on to win the fucking day. But it became, it was because their friend died or, you know, sacrificed. And it's like that narrative clicks in our brains for a reason. So I would say to the people that doubt the effectiveness of um, self-immolation, you know, don't let that death be in vain then. Go out there and fight harder. Make their death not meaningless. So nobody has to self-immolate. Yeah. Anymore. It's only meaningless if you don't take that sacrifice and do something with it. Yeah. The fuck war. I agree. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, uh, if we haven't depressed you too much and you're, and you're not about to self-immolate, uh, you can listen to our main podcast on Fridays. Which will make you want to. <laughs> yeah, which will make you It's going to be musical. We're just going to sing the whole time. No, it's going to be a good... Yeah, it's going to be our musical episode, like that musical episode of Buffy, randomly. <laughs> like, you know? um, no, th- it's going to be a good episode this week. We're going to talk a lot about uh, Joy Reid, Iran, North oh, Korea, Correspondence Dinner, Kanye. We'll talk about all the <laughs> shit that makes me makes my blood boil. Um, but uh, check us out on the main cast. Uh, if you want to support the show, you can do so at Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash moveleft. Uh, rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, follow us on SoundCloud, you know, all that shit. And uh, I'm uh, at Anthony. Uh, fuck, what am I? I'm at uh, move left, move underscore left. Wow, I'm out of it. I'm at move underscore left on uh, Twitter. I'm at a polybent, P O L I B E N T. I'm at Monster McNamara on <laughs> Twitter.com. <laughs> By the way, how funny is it that his middle name is Strange? Like his name is Robert Strange McNamara. <laughs> I, there's a song by this band I like uh, against me uh, that's about the Vietnam War and about McNamara. And at one point, one of the lines is like Robert Strange McNamara. And I thought it was just like a interesting rhyming scheme. But I was like, <laughs> so did his wife. Apparently. Yeah, right. I'm, I'm sure his wife at the time, like told all of her girlfriends back in 1911 or wherever they met. She was like, I'm getting some strange. <laughs> <laughs> Ugh, well, on that dad joke, uh, we should end the podcast. <laughs> um but I do. I actually want to. Uh, so yeah, check us out next week, and I'm going to play us out with uh, 
one of my favorite quotes of all time from Muhammad Ali regarding the Vietnam War. So uh, we will catch you guys uh, later this week uh, on Move Left Idiots. My conscience won't let me go shoot my brother. Uh, some darker people, uh, some poor hungry people in the mud for big powerful America and shoot them for what? They never called me nigger. They never lynched me. They never put no dogs on me. They never robbed me of my nationality, raped and killed my mother and father. What well, I'm gonna go shoot them for what? How can I go shoot them? Them little polar black people, little babies and children, women. How can I shoot them poor people? I would just take me to jail. Ali more than held his own against students who had a far better formal education than he. I'm saying you're talking about me about some draft, and all of you white boys are breaking your neck to get to Switzerland and Canada and London. I'm not going to help nobody get something my Negroes don't have. If I'm going to die, I'll die now right here fighting you. If I'm going to die, you my enemy. My name is a white people, not Vietcongs or Chinese or Japanese. You my opposer when I want freedom. You my opposer when I want justice. You my opposer when I want equality. You won't even stand up for me in America for my religious beliefs, and you want me to go somewhere and fight, but you won't even stand up for me here at home. That was Kanye West, right? <laughs>